Hello, and welcome back to New Teacher Jumpstart. This is Carrie Conover, and I'm so excited that you are joining us today to talk about a very important topic, grading and assessment. Out of all the topics we've discussed, I think this one is probably the one that I felt like I flailed the most on as a new teacher, just because we didn't get a lot of guidance from our school leadership on how to grade and assess students. Um, and so this one's really important to me. And so I brought on the E2E community manager, Heather Campbell, who you all have met in the first episode. Today, she's gonna talk quite a bit about grading and assessment. We're gonna talk about three subtopics within this. We're gonna talk about how do you decide what is important. And then we're gonna talk about practice versus assessment. And we're gonna wrap up talking about how you pick and choose what to grade and assess. Before we get started, if you have not listened to the E2E podcast before and you've never heard Heather on the podcast, she's been a guest several times. Heather is a teacher from Utah that I met through Instagram. I reached out to her and asked her to come onto the podcast to talk about student-led conferences. And that was the start of a beautiful relationship. Heather has presented at every single E2E conference. She recently became the E2E community manager. I could be um, I'm not, could not be more blessed to have Heather helping me build E2E. So Heather, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks. It's been about two and a half years since we did our very first podcast. And it's crazy to think that it's been that long because I feel like since then we've just been going nonstop. I know. And I mean, wow, look how much E2E has grown. Um, and I'm really, really excited, Heather, about new teacher jumpstart, because one of the things we, you and I have realized looking at the E2E specifically membership community. So, um, if you want to become an E2E member, you pay a hundred dollars for the year and you get access to all of our learning videos, all of our modules and the E2E Facebook group, all of our live webinars. And what we realized, Heather, is we have a lot of veteran teachers in the E2E community. Um, veteran teachers who are coming to be re-energized and to find community with one another. And what's been really fun interviewing the newer teachers that we have in the membership community is they say one of the biggest perks of membership is being able to have access to veteran teachers. I agree. And it's crazy. In the Facebook group a couple weeks ago, you know, we were discussing how long people have taught and there are people in there that have taught over 30 years, Carrie, like yeah. there is so much wisdom and knowledge and they've been through everything. They've seen everything and they really are there to help these brand new teachers. And the thing I love about the community also is that these new teachers feel comfortable enough to ask the questions. Yes. Especially I think we've really seen it through this pandemic um, we're recording this actually in May, so the school year is starting to wrap up, and I have been brought to tears multiple times during this tough time just watching our community be there for one another um, and support each other through these unknown times. It doesn't matter if you've been teaching a year or 30 years. Nobody knows how to navigate this new you know, school life. Yeah, it's so true. Well, Heather, let's talk about grading and assessment. I, I I know you heard me in the intro. This is probably the thing I think I really struggled with my first year. We didn't have a lot of guidance. So let's talk about 
you're a new teacher, you're in your classroom, you've got a thousand things to do, including setting up your classroom, building community, all of these things. But when it comes down to grading and assessment, when you start the actual teaching in your classroom, how do you know what is important and what to grade and most importantly, record in your grade book? Yeah, so you have to go back to the standards. And what is it that you want the kids to get out of this quarter or this year? And I'll share something that my district does that I think is kind of genius. Um, But I also think it's something that if your district doesn't do it, your team could do it or your school could do it or you as an individual teacher could do it also, is we look at the grade as a whole. And so I work a lot with fourth grade teachers. So we see all of these standards and where are you going to spend the most of your time? What is the most important standards or skills where you can say every single kid who went through fourth grade will leave knowing these very important things. So we call them, we call them GVCs. Um, But so we've kind of gone through and said, okay, by the time a kid leaves fourth grade in math, they will be able to do double digit multiplication long division, add and subtract fractions. So it comes down to like those we already know are some of the most important things for when they're going to leave. So then when it comes to assessments, it makes it easier because those are definitely the things that we're going to be taking grades on. Now, it doesn't mean that the other things are not as important but we have just come down to here's a handful of things that we know they need to be proficient on before they enter the next grade so that they will be successful in the future grades. And so Heather, one thing just to jump in that I've loved that my own kids school district in K through five went to is the standards based report card which I think is going to really help many of you if you do have a report card like that, because it's literally here are the standards, which quarter they really should be met. Um, And they don't even get letter grades. But um, if you don't have that in your school district, Heather, I think you can almost make yourself and your team probably has this uh, similar to what you're saying is like, what are the important standards and when do we expect students to get there within the school year? Yeah, absolutely. That's when you know pinpoint every single student where they are at. Because even as a parent, there are some things where I'm like, you know, they really aren't going to need that (laughs) after this year. You know, I can see that as a teacher and I can see that as a parent, but I'm like, let's get down to this. What are the skills that they need to be proficient at to be successful five years from now? Or what will they need in the future? And those are the things that I would rather see the grades on. Well, and to kind of give you some perspective, especially some of you may be listening to this before you've ever started teaching. When you start getting students turning in papers, I don't care if you teach first grade or high school, papers become super overwhelming or your Google classroom, like you're having constant assignments and sheets being turned in. And so what Heather and I are trying to do for you is help you zoom out 
and have some perspective on that paperwork. So it doesn't mean that you have to grade everything, every single thing with a fine tooth comb. So we're going to talk about that a little bit when we get to the pick and choose. But what Heather's saying here is like, look at the learning standards, look at what's most important. And that's where the bulk of that grade at the end of the quarter or trimester needs to come from. Is that correct, Heather? Absolutely. And as you were saying that, I immediately thought of like essays because, oh my word, like five paragraph essays are the things that will pile up the most. Once you've read five, you've read all of them, right? (laughs) And so what is it that you're going to grade with that? So it was easier for me if I knew before I even gave the assignment, what is it I want them to show in this? Is it that they can do a, um, a topic sentence? Was the focus their introduction? Is the focus punctuation? And so then that is what I would grade on. I would not go through and like have my 20 point rubric and grade on every single one of those things. So when you're giving the assignment, knowing that you're going to grade it, what is it that you, what information do you want out of it to show that your students can do that? And then only grade on that thing or else you really will spend hours and hours. So something that would take three hours Instead, if I'm looking at topic sentences, that is a lot more manageable for me as a teacher to go through and assess. So Heather, when I specifically think about writing too, it's super easy to get swept up in bad spelling or like not proper punctuation and question. Like you have to know what you're assessing, especially in writing when you're going through it. Um, And those rubrics really help. And I also think like if you're grading writing or you're assessing writing for topic sentences and you have that, you know, stapled to each paper and giving a grade on that, what's really nice is when the child takes that home, the parent can see why you weren't correcting all their spelling or, you know, old school parents like me where, you know, the teacher corrected every little grammatical mistake. If you're just assessing for topic sentences and you put a rubric on there and send it home, the parent also can see that. Yes, for sure. When you um when you think about practice versus assessment. So you have your standards, you have the big picture of what you're really trying to get your kids to be able to do within each subject area or the subject that you teach. Let's talk about practice versus assessment. Let's leave homework out of this for now because we're gonna talk about that next. But within the classroom, every day your kids are gonna be churning out something right? Mm -hmm. And some type of practice. So how do you know um, how much practice to have in your grade book versus assessment? How do you go about that and balance that? Well, I think the first thing you need to look at is does your district or does your specific school have a policy on what needs to be graded? I have been at schools and on the report card, there needs to be like four tests four quizzes, four assignments, four projects. So then as a team, we would come together and say, okay, I mean, the tests are easy because we'll all give the same test, but what are the assignments that we can give that are going to show if they understand it, that are going to lead up to that test? Because there's no point in testing on grammar 
or spelling. Spelling's a good one. There's no point in testing on spelling if you're never going to grade on that later in their writing or if that just isn't a very big expectation. And so as a new teacher, I would definitely find that mentor. We've talked about mentors already. Find that teacher that's on your team that can help guide you into the direction of what you should use for assessments, but 100% use the team that you have. Because if they've been at the school for very long, they know what is expected. And don't be afraid to say, hey, can you show me your grade book from last year, first quarter, so I can see what you graded? Are we all grading the same things? Like both of the schools I taught at, everybody kind of did their own thing. But this was also at a different time. I think things have become tighter and more tightly aligned within school districts now and schools. But ask and say, is there a policy for this? You need to know that. Um, And I think, you know, thinking about this picking and choosing, um, we're going to talk about that in a second. But before we go there, let's talk about tests and assessment, Heather. Um, And I'm going to put you on the spot here because we didn't plan to talk about this, but what do you do the first time you give your kids a test or an assessment and they bomb it? Well, people say, Oh my gosh, it's my fault. I'm a horrible teacher. I mean, I know so many new teachers, including myself that felt this way. Yeah. A lot of it. And I think this goes back to like beginning of the year, um, setting up your procedures is you can't assume that the students know how to take a test. And Mm -hmm. you cannot assume that they know how to take your specific test. So always, I think the very first test that is given out, and I mean, you can't necessarily do this with math, but I know like for our reading program, if we're having a comprehension test, the first one we do together as a class. And I show them exactly how I want them to mark it. Or if there's a writing component, I model exactly what I expect them to have so that everybody is clear on what is expected. Because really, if you have taught the unit or you have taught the lesson and almost everybody has failed it, it probably comes down to they were unsure of what they were actually supposed to be doing. Especially if you've been doing these informal assessments the whole time and you know that they understand the content. But when it comes down to the test, they might have not known how to take that specific test. Yep. And also, especially at the beginning of the year, you don't necessarily know what skills the kids are coming in for with. And so maybe the assessment's too hard, right? For the level of where your students are. I mean, I had year to year where my classes, same grade, were coming at drastically different levels and different skills. Um, so don't beat yourself up too much for that. And I think the one thing I will say is if you get to an assessment and your whole class bombs it, you really, really need to take a hard look at the mini assessments you're giving leading up. So I was obsessed with exit slips because it could give me, I could have a 90 minute math block that I had planned out and I could have my students working through centers and games and, you know, small groups. But in the last 10 minutes, I could give an exit slip and I could right away be like, okay, half the class didn't get this, even though they were practicing it tomorrow, I need to do a little more direct instruction, or I need to pull those groups in. But I think like you, your mini assessments and your 
where you are grading outside of assessments needs to, you should have a very good inclination how your kids are going to do on the test when it's time to take the test. Completely. And the other thing that made me think of is you need to know the format of the test that you are going to give. A lot of teachers are like, I don't like to look over the test before I give it because I don't want to feel like I'm teaching to the test, right? But right. if you don't, you are doing a huge disservice to those students because if you taught, if you were asking questions in a specific format the whole time and then the kids get to the test and they're like, I've never heard it said this way. That's not actually assessing whether they know the information. It's assessing of, can they figure out that question for the test? So you need to make sure that you know what is on the test. And I've, I've been that teacher, especially with science. I'm like, I'm just going to follow this, the standards and I'm going to hit all of the learning targets. And if I do that, by the time the, the test comes, they're going to know it, but I don't want to feel like. I'm only teaching what's on the test. But if something was worded a specific way, or maybe they used a vocabulary word that I didn't necessarily use, and all the kids miss it, then that's when I realize there was probably something wrong with that. Um, Let's talk about picking and choosing. So there are pretty much four categories that we talked about within grading and assessment, one being homework two being classwork, three being longer term projects, and four being assessment. So we've talked a lot about assessment. We think that's pretty clear. Um, And really assessment should most likely be the bulk of your grading um, because you want to look at where they progress to, not really grading them as they're learning. But let's talk first about homework. Heather, I think you and I both are not super in love with homework, but let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I... When I very first started teaching, and this is one of those things where you will learn as you go. When I first started teaching, I had a weekly homework packet that went out because that's what everybody else on my team sent out. So I felt like that's what had to happen. And I graded every single one of the pages that were in there. All we- It took me all weekend long. And... The same kids consistently were not turning their homework in. The kids who were overachievers, who have parents at home when they went home from school, were the ones that were turning turning it in. So it took a couple years, honestly, to realize the inequality that was happening with homework and how little actually helps the students who truly need the extra learning. If a student does not understand a concept, you're not going to give them enough homework for them to finally understand it because chances are they are doing it on their own. The goal is that homework will be independent. Um, But if they're going home and they don't understand it when they went home, they're not going to come back to school understanding it. So, and I think, it's, it's interesting too, what you are sending home for homework. If you're sending home like basic facts, practice and reading and maybe spelling practice in my mind, I kind of think of that as like maintenance practice kind of like 
keeping the cobwebs out of the brain kind of practice. But if you're sending home, if you're teaching long division and then you send home a sheet of long division problems that night, it's not helping the kids that don't get it exactly to your point. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but you might, maybe you use that as an ex, as an app, an opportunity to send home three problems. And then the students that come back and don't have them done, you can dig deeper and say, okay, did you not get it? Like, I think kind of using it as an exit slip, but you're absolutely right. How they're like, how does sending home a sheet of 50 problems help the kid that doesn't understand? it? Yeah. And I just think especially, and I hope, like you said, we're recording this in May. We're in the middle of a pandemic. And I have realized with the things that my children have been doing that sometimes it is better for them to go and play outside. Yeah. And give me the assignment of play a game with your family. And that's the type of homework that I would rather be sending home now where you really are kind of bringing families together because that's what's going to be remembered. And that really is what's important instead of the 50 math problems. I do think reading will always need to be there. I think kids need to read at home. I think that's just good practice in general. But as far as like packets of homework, my philosophy is just that it doesn't benefit anybody. Yeah. When you are a new teacher and you're are if you're required to assign homework, which a lot of schools um, require it, and the homework's coming back to you, one of the biggest tips I have is do not feel like you need to grade all those. Have um, your students, I, I spent the first couple minutes of class, like the kids would grade it themselves. And then um, I, I did a, I did not do a lot of direct instruction in my class. Usually it started off like five minutes, let's go over the homework, you know, about five to 10 minutes of a mini lesson. And then kids went into groups or did worked on a project. And so I use that as a way to say, Hey, like those of you that didn't do a great job on the homework, I want you to come find me. I called it my help. I was the help desk and the co the special ed teacher in my room, my co-teacher was the other help desk and we made it super comfortable. So kids really did feel okay coming up and being like, yeah, I didn't get this. Or to your point, if they didn't have the support at home, we could be the support, but do not feel if you start grading every single piece of paper uh, of homework, you are going to, you are going, your priorities are going to be off. Absolutely. Yeah. Your time can be spent so much better doing other things. With classwork, um, I think one of our favorite tools is the exit slip. Do you want to talk a little bit about what an exit slip could look like? Yeah, I love the exit slip. And I feel like in the past couple of years, it's gotten to be where it is very popular. You teach this entire lesson. And of course, like you said, there are so many ways to figure out if kids are getting it. You could use whiteboards, but in the end, you can't like turn the whiteboard in. So you need just a little piece of paper. Usually it's like a quarter sheet of paper that might have one or two problems on it. And it's like if they can complete that problem, they understood what the math lesson was. And it's so easy to just quickly check and send them sometimes to recess. I always had math right before recess, but it was 
send them on their way, the kids who maybe didn't get it, it took all of 30 seconds to help them find their problems. But it's not overwhelming. The kids are very comfortable with it. Um, And then one other thing that I had started doing with exit slips also that helped so much is I had baskets in my class and they were labeled one, two, three, or four. So my students knew anytime during the day, I would say, show me your understanding or show me what you know. And they would just put a number up. So one was like, I don't understand this at all. Two is, you know, I, I, I can do this on my own, but I can't explain it well to somebody else. All the way up to four of, I feel confident that I could teach somebody else this concept. So I would stop in the middle of class and just say, show me um, how well you understand this. And they're very good. and They're very honest with it. But it got to, that's how I would do exit slips. So they would do their exit slip and they would put it in the basket of like one, two, three, or four. So then I can see what is their perception of how well they know this content. Because if they feel like they know it really well, but they don't, then I definitely have to address that. But then if there are the kids who know that they don't understand it, it's so easy to help them or pull a small group the very next day and get them extra assistance on that topic. Well, that's why I loved having longer term projects in my classroom. A lot of problem-based um Problem-based problem solving? Project-based project learning. Project-based <laughs> learning, project-based problem solving. Because that is, you know, you can do a quick mini lesson, a quick exit slip, have time left in your class to quickly grade those and then pull in small groups to the kids that didn't get it. So don't think an exit slip just has to happen at the end of class. It could be right after a mini lesson. You have the students do two pro. We keep talking about math, but you can do this in any subject. And then the students, you can say, okay, everyone pull out that project-based, you know, project that we're working on. And then while they're working independently, you can be pulling in small groups. Yes. So exit slip can be used at any time. I want to talk about longer term projects um, and assessments. One thing that I really want new teachers to think about is looking at your own personal calendar and don't, you know, if you have a big wedding and you're, or you're going on a big long weekend trip and you know, you're not going to be grading, maybe you don't have like every project and test due before that. And definitely don't save all of this for the end of the quarter. Cause you're going to find yourself scrambling. Um, but especially with longer term projects, Heather, um, I think there's something to be said about letting kids turn in parts of the projects in chunks so that you're not just getting like a huge project and 30 copies of it at the end or 150 copies of it at the end as a you know middle school teacher or high school teacher. So talking about longer term projects, how can this be good for an assessment uh, of students learning? And also how can teachers manage those larger projects? Yeah. So let me first start by telling you why I love projects in the classroom. I feel and you will quickly realize it, there are students in your class that do not test well. There are students in your class that might be in special ed. They might be ELL learners. And you truly don't know what they know 
through a test most of the time. But when you have a project, that is where they can truly show you what they know. So yep. it for me, the more important was why am I giving these projects? And it came down to this is how the students are showing me their deeper understanding. Because on a test, you don't always get the deeper understanding. I mean, they're like basic questions that are there. But if you can have this kid show you how to go through this entire process in a project, that tells you that they have this deep understanding. So it doesn't matter what that test says, you've seen what they did with that project. And I think of science with this. A lot of the times with science, you can integrate different subjects so you can see what they know in a lot of different areas, but it's, it breaks it down to where it's not a reading problem and that's why they're not answering it correctly. Because when it comes to like these ELL students or even kids that are in special ed, are you assessing them on how well they can actually read that question? Because if that's what you're assessing them on, of course, that's why they can't answer it because they aren't able to understand what the question is asking them. But with these projects, I feel like that's where these students shine and will show you what they know. Well, and if you think about it, what's more real world? Absolutely. Learning how to, I mean, learning how to start, plan a project and execute on it. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's my whole entire life. <laughs> and <laughs> like, and you, we, we, we were just talking about this, my husband and I, with like house projects and how like the last finishing touches are always the hardest. To take a project to the end is a hard skill. And it's way more real life to have to do something like that than to take a test. Unless you're going to be, I mean, I guess a doctor. <laughs> um, and I mean, I think tests are important. We need to teach kids how to do it. But I do think as an educator, including those longer term projects, it's just so much more what's happening in the real world. Yeah. And even with that, like the social skills and the problem solving skills that the kids are getting during those projects is what will be real world in five years. Like those yep. are the skills they're going to be taking with them for the rest of their life. Yep. Absolutely. Well, Heather, I can't think of a better person to talk about this. Mainly just, I mean, you, you work across a very large district and I feel like you've seen it all. So I'm so glad we got the chance to really sit down and talking about grading, assess, grading and assessment. And I think if I'm a new teacher listening to this, my biggest takeaway is don't grade every single thing. Take small bits, make take small chunks and make it manageable and keep your eye on the prize, which is those larger learning standards. Absolutely. And it comes down to what is best for the students. And that's where you should be spending most of your time. Perfect. Well, Heather, thanks again for joining us today. All of you that are listening, if you want more Heather and Carrie time, we would love to have it with you. One of the things I am the most proud of about the e me membership site is that it is very personable. We cater it to you. We are available. You can talk to us. Um, and so I think, Heather, that's one of the things we're most proud of is that we haven't gotten too far away from our members. It's got not gotten so huge that 
we never get to talk to anybody. We're there, we're available. So we would love to have you as part of the E2E membership site. You can learn more about that at educators slash membership.